Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. This is Pastor Winfred Burns, and you are now live with the Word on Wednesday. And tonight we continue our series, The Crisis in Corinth, and even more, we continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Last week we spent a lot of time uh, just beginning to lay the groundwork for uh, this passage where he begins to talk about um, the... um, the division that is present in the Lord's Supper. We talked about um, what the major problem was, and the major problem that was causing the division was the attitude that was present at the Lord's Supper. Good evening. Um, one of the thing, one the attitude that was present was one of superiority. Uh, they lacked an attitude of humility. Uh, they, there was an attitude of selfishness where they were concerned about themselves. And then the other thing was they were treating this feast like all other feasts of their times. It was a time for connections and business dealings and getting next to the person that you wanted to get next to who would benefit you. We spoke about that last week, and now we want to continue this week um, to begin to to continue to, um, how do I want to put it, to continue to to add meat to the bone, and then also to show uh, the similarities between what they were doing, good evening, and what we're doing today, and then put together uh, the, the corrective actions for this. But before we go any further, let's um, have a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. God, we bless you and we praise you. We thank you for the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us. Father, we ask now that you would lead us and guide us in this study. Tell us what it says, but also show us how we should respond. And by your spirit, have us to respond. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, Amen. So, let's um, let's turn over to First Corinthians, chapter eleven, and I'm going to pick up where we left off last week, and where we left off was where Paul was beginning to to review what the Lord's Supper was all about. That it was not an ordinary festival. We went through and showed the attitude that was necessary, and it was an attitude that, if I wanted to sum it up real quickly, I'd say, you have to have an attitude that says, I am committed to serve my brothers and my sisters, 
and that in this feast, what we're doing is we are strengthening our commitment one to another, thus fulfilling the promise of God that says that we should love our neighbors, that we should love our neighbors. That is one of the functions of the Lord's Supper. The other function that we talked about last week was that it was a celebration. Now, one of the comments that we had last week was the fact that uh, oftentimes we treat it as a funeral. We don't treat it as a celebration, but we're sitting around all, all, all uh, solemn-looking and remembering the fact that uh, Jesus died. And so, you know, and then also remembering our sin and remember and trying to figure out, did I do anything wrong or have I done anything wrong? That makes me unworthy of taking the Lord's Supper. Those are the things that we seem to be more concerned about. And in doing it, I believe that we've been tricked. I believe we've been tricked. And, you know, last week, again, I spent a lot of time talking about that it was not, it's not just some add-on. It's not just something that uh, doing our worshiping experiences on Sunday morning that we take and put a comma in it and then squeeze in 15 minutes to um, to begin having the Lord's Supper and then continue on with business as usual. That is not the Lord's Supper. What that is, I don't even know, but it's definitely not what Jesus has commanded us to do. And we went through all of that uh, last week. Now, where I want to uh, I want to pick up tonight at verse I want to pick up tonight at verse twenty three. Uh, so I'm at chapter eleven, verse twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Now, in there's a couple of things. There, there's a lot in here. There is a lot in here that that we need to just dig into. And the way that I want to approach it, I think I want to go back to Luke, and I want to go back to Luke's record of the Lord's Supper. And I believe it's like six twenty. Um, oh, excuse me, uh, Luke twenty. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Okay. It's got it's Luke. Here it is. Luke twenty two, I'm sorry. Here, I wanna read I wanna read Luke twenty two for you. And I want to start at verse 14, Luke 22:14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, 
And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I want to stop right there. Okay, now I want you to notice a couple of things. Number one, did you notice that in reading this, in verse um, 17, it says, after taking the cup, he gave thanks. And then again, it says, in verse 20, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. Now you're saying, okay, so now why are you splitting hairs? Well, the reason why I'm doing that is I want to show you tonight that, uh, let me get one more thing before I say that. He says, this cup, and I'm, I'm back over in 1 Corinthians now, and I could do it, do it over in Luke 2, but I'll go back over to 1 Corinthians in verse 25. It says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So do you notice that there are multiple cups involved in the Lord's Supper? And these multiple cups correspond with uh, a pro the promises that God gave to us, that God gave to Israel when they when he was calling them out of Egyptian bondage. Remember, he says, I will deliver you. Uh, I, we, uh, I will, uh, how's, it, how's it go? I will deliver you. I will bring you out. Um, I will bring you out of bondage. There were four promises that he makes then. And in the Lord's Supper, there are four cups that are involved in it. What we just heard about is two of the cups. So what is this? What is this? What, what, what's the importance of these cups? Well, this, these cups are the fulfillment, the celebration of the fulfillment of God's promise. Here in, in Exodus, he makes the promise. In, in Luke, through Jesus, he fulfills the promises that he makes. He fulfills. And so these promises are represented by the four cups. And what are the four cups? The four cups are, the first cup is the cup of sanctification. I'm going to, I'm going to take you to myself. I'm setting you apart. The second cup is the cup of, they call it the cup of blessing or the cup of deliverance. That's where I believe that we come into with that Luke records that he is basically, Jesus is blessing. He's, he's speaking blessings upon them. He's basically illustrating the deliverance that, that he brings. The third cup, the one that, that he now says, this is the cup of, of, of my blood, that represents my blood of the new covenant, that is known as the cup, cup of redemption. So 
And the fourth cup is the cup of hope or the cup that announces that he's coming back again. So in our, in our Lord's Supper, what we have portrayed is the fulfillment of God's plan. It, so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what we are supposed to be celebrating is God fulfilling his promise through Jesus. You see, and so how can we, how can, how can we be sad how can we take it as a funeral when it's actually a celebration of God doing a new thing with his creation and opening the doors of deliverance, opening the doors of sanctification, opening the doors of redemption to his children and pointing us toward the fact that Jesus is coming back again. All of these are a, 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 a part of the Lord's Supper, and yet we never spend the time celebrating what Jesus tells us to celebrate. So last week we talked about the attitude that was necessary and this week, now we focus in, we hone in on what this celebration is all about. Now, what they had done is, in, in Corinth, they had turned this into just a, any old other kind of feast. But to the Christian, to the Christian, they've been taught, no, this is a celebration of what God has done. This is the fulfillment of his redemption. Turn real quick, because it's also the fulfillment of prophecy. Turn real quick to uh, Jeremiah 31. Look at Jeremiah 31, and we'll begin reading at verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. That's Jeremiah 31. So, now, when, you, when we come to the Lord's Supper, the thing that we begin to celebrate when he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new covenant ratified in my blood. Sealed in my blood. This is the fulfillment of God's promise through Jeremiah where he says, 
I'm going to put my word, I'm going to put my law in your heart. I'm going to give it to you on the inside. And we have the word of God in us because God has given us his Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us into all truth. So we, when we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, what we are celebrating is the fulfillment of God's promises to us. Now, right now, if you thought about it, if you thought about it, you just jump up and start shouting all over the place. So he says, I'm at verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If we go back and look in, in the Gospels, and I believe it says it in John the best, he says, uh, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom. And so what this does is it not only allows us to celebrate what God has done in the past, but it also tells us to look to the future for what God is going to do for us in the future, in that he's coming back again. So the Lord's Supper is a reminder that Jesus will return and that we will dine with him around the table of God. And so uh, our Lord's Supper is so much more, and it's so rich, but yet we, like the Corinthians, have allowed it to denigrate into a stale cracker, some grape juice, and hurry up and let's get it on with whatever it is that we're doing. And that's why I believe that, that, that we really need to just stop. We need to stop and we need to refocus ourselves and look at where we are today and, and say, wait a minute, we're doing this wrong. Our attitude toward each other, our attitude even toward the Lord's Supper is an attitude of ignorance. It's it, how, we're, how we're supposedly having communion is wrong. And I can't stress it enough. Let's keep going. Therefore, I'm at verse uh, 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. I want to read that again, but I want to read that this time. And because there's a, there's a couple of words that we get in the English Standard Version and the King James Version that just don't, uh, that are not here in the NIV Version, and I want it to have the impact that it should have, and it just doesn't give me, there it is. Verse 27, and this is in the English Standard Version. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. That was necessary for me to get that word, guilty of profaning. What does it mean to profane something? 
to profane means when you are profane, when you are profane, it means that you are unfit to access God. It is improper or unauthorized entry. That's one way to look at it. The other thing is that when you profane the word of God, when you profane the body and the blood of the Lord, what you are doing is you are failing to recognize the body of Christ as holy. You are failing to recognize the blood of Christ as holy. Holy being something set aside specifically for the exclusive use of God. Mm -hmm. That's what it means to profane the body and the blood. So, what does it say? Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, unworthy meaning not equal to the task, not equal to the test, found wanting, lacking, having the, the, the proper value, falling short of what God says is valuable. So in other words, you look at it and you basically say that this is not holy, and so you haven't judged properly what you are, what this what you are participating in, and so instead of declaring it as holy, you declare it as common. And you know when you declare something as common that God declares as holy, that you're in trouble. That when you profane something that God declares as His own, you're in trouble. And if you think if you think I don't know what I'm talking about, then go back and ask Achan and his family when they profane the things of the Lord. Or go have a conversation with Saul. When Saul says, look, when, when, when God told Saul, look, everything that the Amalekites have, I am declaring it for myself. This is for my use, and I want you to utterly store it. What happened to Achan? What happened to Saul? And so now, now watch this line that I'm going to draw as we continue to go through this passage. And Elder, why are you teaching so hard? Why is why you got that frown in your face? Because this is serious business. And what we are doing, we in the church of God are walking in a dangerous manner. Because rather than regard the body and the blood as holy, rather than regard our brothers and sisters as holy, because I was I've spent the day and part of uh, last week just wondering when God says you profane the body, is He just referring to Jesus, or is He referring to the body of Christ, meaning the church? And you need to, we need to think about that for a second. So when we disregard our brothers and sisters, when we fail to show up with an attitude of service and an attitude of support to them, are we profaning the body and the blood of Jesus in our actions and attitudes toward that which Christ has declared to be holy? Woo! Keep going. So it says in verse 28, 
a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, remember the argument that I was just making? The body of the Lord without without recognizing the body of the Lord. Now, how do you why do you why, but why do you why do you include my the brothers and sisters that are around the table? Well, what's his argument? What's the beginning of the argument? Go back over to um go back over into verse 17, uh, the early part of the lesson that we talked. It says, when you come together, it is not, I'm look at verse uh, 20, I think it is. When you come together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For as you eat, each one of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry. Another gets drunk. Do you see? It is the relationship and how you're treating each other as well as how you view this Lord's Supper that is a problem that that says, look, you better check yourself. You better check yourself how you view your brothers and sisters and how you view this Lord's Supper, this feast, this celebration that we're in. Because those are the determining factors, your attitude. Do you view this as an opportunity to celebrate the fulfillment of the promise of God through the death, burial, and resurrection and return of Jesus Christ, or is this that 15 minutes of the service where you sit there sorrowful and eat that bad bread and drink that grape juice and move on? Is this that... Is this that time when you look around to your brothers and sisters and and rejoice that they're here and and commit to them that, look, we in this together, and what I got, you got, and what you need, I got, and I'm here for you, and I'm praying for you, and I'm supporting you, and not only am I supporting you, but I'm celebrating you too? Is this, a t- is this a time when you are celebrating the deliverance that comes from God? Is this a time when you dis- celebrate the deliverance of God? You see, that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. Look at, look at verse 30. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, if we properly distinguished through investigation where we are in our walk or lack of walking in the word of God, but if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. We would not come under a negative verdict that leads us to being weak and dying. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. 
when God is exposing us through investigating and showing us where we are wrong, we are disciplined. And in this, it doesn't mean beat up on or get no whooping or nothing like that. Discipline means to be corrected, to be taught, to be instructed of what we should be doing to be pleasing to God there, and led away from condemnation into the blessings that he's always had bestowed for us. So then, my brothers, when you come together, I'm at verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you come together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. Now, that, that one part, they should eat at home. Basically, what he's saying, and what we do is we say, you shouldn't take communion when you're hungry. No, that's not what that means. That means that you need to put yourself in a position where you are not driven by your internal cravings to uh, to disregard uh, your brothers and sisters and go before them. And and if it's a, if it's at a feast, you go before them and you just eat up everything and and don't think nothing about anybody else. You see, I mean, we have to. We have to put ourselves in a position where we are always celebrating together, where we're always serving together, where we're always recognizing what God has done, is doing, and is going to do. That's, that's what we are celebrating in the Lord's Supper. That's the attitude of service that we should have in the Lord's Supper. Supper. That's the rededication of ourselves to our brothers and our sisters and to our God. That is renewing the hope that we have even as we walk through this mean and evil and cruel world, that we walk towards our future in Christ rather than walk towards judgment. That's what this chapter is all about. As we conclude for tonight, what I want to do is I want to have a word of prayer, and if you have questions, um, comments, or whatever, put them on the screen. If you are on Blog Talk Radio, uh, 929-477-2304, let's have a word of prayer, and then um, we'll shut it down for the night after if there's, if there's no questions. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you. God, I thank you for all that you've given us. We thank you, God, that we are sometimes like kids who have toys that we leave in boxes, that you give us the commandment to celebrate. And, Father, we have been tricked by the enemy into taking that celebration and turn it into a funeral. God, we've taken our eyes off of you and put them on ourselves, and instead of praising you for all that you've done and what we're doing is we're sitting there worried about ourselves. 
We're not looking out for our brothers and our sisters. We're thinking about us. Father, forgive us for doing that. Point our hearts towards you. Heal our celebrations. Help us to do things the way you want them done. Oh, God, how we bless you for your word. How we bless you for your revelation. Now, Father, that which needs to be done to correct it, help us to be instruments of correction. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just just very very briefly because I know I'm on my, I'm on I'm I'm two minutes over. What can you do? You're not the pastor. You're not on the boards, and you feel like I don't have the skills to go to my pastor or go to the leadership of my church and change things. Well, the thing that you can do is you can pray and ask God to begin to do the turnaround in the church. But there's another thing that you can do. Do you know that um, the Passover and the Lord's Supper were not instituted in the church as we know it today, but instead it was celebrated in the home. And you, as a believer, as a believer, can begin to celebrate the Lord's Supper in your home with your family. Yeah, you can do it. And what I want you to do is I want you to begin just with the few principles because we haven't even scratched the surface of the Lord's Supper. I mean, there's so much more teaching that needs to be done on it, but I have to stay within the context and the confines of the assignment that I have, and that is to teach 1 Corinthians. And so I have to stay here. I, I, I've, I've kind of, you know, got a little bit wide here and there uh, to bring in some other, to illustrate the aspects that were missing in the Lord's Supper celebration in Corinth. But what you could do is just the principles that I've taught you. You can have the Lord's Supper in your home. What does it amount to? It amounts to the bread and the wine. It amounts to you having a fellowship meal with your family or your friends, and then at the end, serving each one of them and celebrating Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All you need to do, and and all you need to do is go into John. You can go into Luke. You can go into Matthew to get just to make sure that uh, you know you get all your little words right. And you don't have to do it. You have all the words that the preacher them have, but instead have the attitude of celebration and service. And as oft as you do it, you do it in remembrance of Him. Yeah, that's what you can do. You could do that in your house. And if anybody has any, you know, wants to have any conversation about it, you got to get in touch with me, and we'll talk about it. Now I can, you know, walk you through and give you some, you know, some pointers. But we celebrate the Lord's Supper in my home uh, with my family, probably about twice a year, with extended family. About twice a year we do that, 
And I'm going to tell you something. It's a blessing to us. So with that said, if there's no questions, the four cups, the two cups are in Luke. Where are the other two? The other two are not specifically mentioned in the scripture. The other two are, you can find them if you study um, the Jewish Passover. And the four cups, again, are, I wrote them down because I, I, you know, I got too much on my mind. The first cup is sanctification. The second cup is the cup of blessing or deliverance. The third cup is the cup of deliverance. And the fourth cup is called the cup of hope, or sometimes it's called the cup of acceptance, but more than likely they call it Elijah's cup. So when they're celebrating, because they're still celebrating Passover now, and when they celebrate Passover, they say who's this, they open the door up uh, at the fourth cup, and they are waiting for the return of Elijah. That's that's where to get that four cups from. They also correspond with the promises that um, that that God makes through Moses when He sends him to um, to to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let the people go. He when you go back, I think it's Exodus chapter three. Chapter three or chapter six, one or the other, where it where it talks about um, I will bring them out, uh, I will deliver them, I will take them to a land, I will be their God. That passage, that's the passage where those four cups derive from. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. Well, if there's no more questions, then I'm going to call it a night. Uh, next week. We get into another difficult, difficult discussion because next week we go into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, spiritual gifts. That's going to be a doozy. Well, in any event, I bless the Lord for each one of you. Have a wonderful night and pray for me, especially as I go through chapter 12 because chapter 12 is a, is a tough chapter. That's a tough one for me to teach, and that will probably be another two-weeker. So y'all be blessed and have a wonderful evening. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 